0: morning to think of an image in your head of what freedom means to you, I'm guessing that everybody kind of would come up with a different image in their head, a different idea of what freedom looks like. But I imagine if you're around my age, especially if you're a guy, the image that comes to mind when you think about freedom is Mel Gibson in Braveheart. We have a slide. Uh, right? <laughs> Him talking and saying before battle to his men, they, they may take our lives, but they can't take our freedom, right? This idea of fighting for your personal freedom and not being subject to the unjust rule of another power. But maybe if you have young kids or work with young kids, grandparents, maybe the image that comes to mind is a young toddler. Um, this idea of their own freedom that they think... <laughs> You're not the boss of me. I don't have to listen to you. You can't make me do it, right? They have this own idea of freedom. But for me, when I was thinking about this, the image that came to mind for me was this iconic image of Julie Andrews spinning around on the mountaintop in The Sound of Music. And um, for me, I don't know, I think that image just kind of gives this image of um, inner peace. And kind of the freedom to be yourself. That's what I think of when I think of freedom. So we all have these different ideas of what personal freedom looks like for us. We might even have a different idea of what personal freedom looks like when we become a follower of Christ. And maybe that's the first question we need to ask. Does our personal freedom change when we choose to follow Jesus? So during this teaching series, we have been talking about the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth um, that is referred to as 1 Corinthians. And we know that Paul started this church, and then he left the church and went to start other churches. But word got back to Paul that there were some issues going on in this church, and um, they have lots of different issues. And Paul writes this letter as a way to kind of correct... And encourage this church to really view everything in their lives through the gospel lens is what we're kind of referring to it as. That's why this series is Life Through a New Lens. This idea that when we choose to follow Jesus, that everything is viewed through this new um, way of looking at life through the lens of the good news of Jesus. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he addresses many different issues that are going on in the church. The first week we talked about division in the church, that there were these um, members of the church who liked different leaders. Some liked Paul, some like Peter, and they were dividing among themselves because of this issue. And Paul discourages that, and he encourages them to um, be united with one another. And we talked about the struggle that that is for our lives as well. And then last week, um, we talked about how Paul addresses the issue of sexual integrity. And for these believers in Corinth, that was a real struggle. And they had to kind of um, re-look at their own behavior, their sexual behavior, and look at it in a new, fresh way. And so if you've missed those um, messages, you can find them on our website. Um, We always post our messages on our website. But this week, we're going to address a new challenge, a new issue that was happening in the church. And at first glance, you might look at it and say oh, that doesn't really relate to us at all. Because it, it is a very unique situation to the culture and the time that Paul is addressing. But I think when we dig deeper, what we'll see is that what Paul is calling the Christians to, how he's calling them to live, um, is how he's calling us as well to live. And that, that will show up in lots of different areas in our life. So before we look at what Paul has to say in um, chapter 8, we're covering chapter 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians this week, I just want to address and kind of discuss the culture and the practices that surrounded idol worship and going to the temple and worshiping, worshiping at the temple in Corinth. So we talked about how Corinth is in modern day Greece today. So it was a Greek culture um, but they had also been part of the Roman Empire for uh, about 100 years. So we have lots of different temples. We have temples for Greek gods and goddesses. We have temples for Roman gods and goddesses. We have temples that, where people would go and worship Roman leaders and their families. And that was just a normal practice. And one of the things that you would do when you would go to the temple is a family would bring an animal to sacrifice as a way to worship um, whatever god or goddess that temple um, was supposed to worship. And so the family would bring this, this animal, and what would happen is they would cook it right there. And the family would then eat the meat. It was almost like a celebration, almost like a restaurant environment in some ways, where you would sit down and have this banquet feast where the meat was the centerpiece. And the family couldn't just eat all of it themselves and so other people were invited to sit with them and and to participate and that wasn't the only thing that was happening you know larry talked about last week some of the sexual things that were going on there were prostitution and lots of lots of drinking so it was um lots of different things going on in in the temple but the meat um was one of those things but there was so much meat that was being sacrificed in these temples, so many temples, that um, you couldn't eat it all just in the temple. And so they would use that meat and then sell it in the market, in the city. And so any market that you would go to, most of the meat, had been sacrificed at some point to an idol. And so for the Jews that are living in Corinth at the time, they have been taught their whole life that they are supposed to stay far away from any kind of practice of worship, to idols or to any other god. And so many of them choose not to eat meat at all because they're so afraid that they might eat some meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. But then in this church, it's a multi-ethnic church, so they have some Christians that were once Jews, but we also have these Christians that were Gentiles who were brought up going to the temple and worshiping these gods and idols. And so for some of them, they in their new life, they think that it's fine to eat this meat. That's a, what they've always done their whole life. And so then the question is asked to Paul, which is it? Which is the answer? What are we allowed to do? Tell us. What's the black and white rule here? And what we see is that Paul isn't quite willing to make it that easy. So we're going to look at chapter 8, verse 4. And Paul says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. So what he's saying here is, we all know, here as Christians, we know that this idol isn't really a God, right? It's made up. We know that there's one God. And that's something that the Jewish people have been brought up their whole life, that they're different than everybody else. And all the places that they've traveled, they believe in one God. And that is true also for these new Christians. But what he says is that we know that there is one God and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. But then he says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everybody really gets this. So some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat, the sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience, their conscience is weak, that the food is defiled. He says, but food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat it, and we're no better if we do. Did that clear it all up? That you know, wasn't really a rule that he was making. Here he's instead kind of saying, what I want you to begin with is who is God? And what does it look like to serve and to love this God, this one God in a culture filled with people worshiping many gods? And then he talks about the freedom that we have, the freedom to make our own choice. But what we'll see is that that freedom only goes so far. And so then he gives another scenario of why it wouldn't be okay to eat the food that is sacrificed to idols. He's, he's, He's saying clearly, you know, Idols aren't real. So the food hasn't changed at all. So it isn't about eating the food that's the problem. There might be another problem that you need to think about here. And that is your other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says in verse 9, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, the idea of your freedom in Christ, does not become a stumbling block to the weak, and I, I want to say weak, um, maybe think of it as an immature Christian, a new Christian. For if somebody with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge, with all of your understanding of who God is, if he sees you eating at, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person then be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to an idol? So then this weak Brother, or this immature brother and sister in Christ, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, and he's talking about himself here, if I if what I eat causes my brother and sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So, what we see here is Paul is saying it goes so much deeper than just the fact that this food has been, you know, sacrificed to an idol that doesn't exist. It isn't about the food. The problem is that for these new Christians who are coming out of this belief and practice their whole life of worshiping other gods, that it doesn't feel right for them to even return just a little bit to these old patterns, something in them doesn't feel right about that. And Paul says, "Listen to that feeling." That's what he refers to as as your conscience, right? And I think we can talk about how that's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, warning us when we are making unwise choices. And so, for these new Christians, um, they don't even want to step back at all into a place where they used to live, a place that was filled with darkness for them. They've been freed from that. And so Paul is encouraging them, listen to that feeling. And N.T. Wright, who is a uh, New Testament scholar, he tries to help um, let us know what's happening in this section. And this is what he says about these new Christians. He says, for them, looking back, they wouldn't be able to split that old world up, that old world of, of going to the temple and worshiping. They wouldn't be able to split that up into different bits. They wouldn't be able to say, you know, this bit is, is all right, while that bit is wicked and wrong. Because for some of them, the very smell of the meat that they used to eat in the temple would just bring it all back the priest chanting and the the drink that they had around them and everybody um, drinking together and the prostitutes waiting for them, and it would just bring them all back to that. And it's natural and right for them that in their conscience, they could not, without maturing for a while, without years of teaching and prayer and wise help from others, to cope with any element of that old way of life, even if they have Christian friends who can handle it. And so that's what's happening here. Paul is saying that we might have the freedom to do something, but we don't have the freedom if it's going to hurt one of our brothers and sisters in Christ and cause them to go back to their old, harmful patterns. And so Paul tries to give his own example of freedom and a choice that he makes for himself. And so if you've read, you might... Um, think, where is he going with this? In chapter 9, it feels like he's not um, following the same line of thinking, but here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to give his own example of why he's made choices in his own life. And so he says that he would have the freedom to get married and to take a wife, and to take her along with him in ministry. And that other church leaders had chosen to do that, and that there was nothing wrong with that. But for him, he had made the choice that that wasn't the right choice for him. And he gives another illustration of that he has the freedom to be supported financially. financially for the work that he does for the churches and other church leaders receive financial um, help for what they do and in all of these churches and that that is fine but for him he chooses not to do that and so we know that Paul had his own business that um, he supported himself financially and so here he's saying both are right both of these Christian leaders have made a choice for themselves that are different and still the right choice for them based on what the Holy Spirit is prompting them to do. And it reminded me of a conversation that I've had recently with a friend who was talking about a job that he was really passionate about and the jobs and careers that he was really passionate about in life. And what he said was those were jobs that usually didn't make as much money. And for him, he said that, that was a struggle for him because he really felt like he had the ability to work in jobs that he could make really good money and that for him he wanted um, and, and felt like he should help his family, his parents and his siblings. And so for him, even though he has the freedom and right to pursue any job that he wants, he gives that up because of his love for his family. And I think that's what Paul is asking here for us all to consider how our actions affect the family. He asks us to give up our freedom sometimes for the benefit of our brothers and sisters who we love. And so then he goes in chapter 10, and he says this in verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, and he's speaking of Jewish ancestors here, were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's really confusing, right? What in the world is he talking about there, right? So here Paul, he switches to this figurative language, and it's um, a little bit confusing, but the Jewish um, Christians that he would be writing to would understand a little bit of where he's going, um, what he's talking about here. But ultimately, what he's talking about is freedom. And how when we dream of freedom, and then we actually receive freedom, how oftentimes we make choices that actually enslave us again. And so he's reminding these Christians of the Jewish people who were saved out of slavery in Egypt, that Moses led them out of Egypt through the sea, you know, led by a cloud, and a, a pillar of fire at night he's bringing back those images and how they they got their freedom and so he's making a parallel between that and the freedom that we receive when we choose to follow Jesus and we're baptized when we choose to follow Jesus and are baptized we're promised that we're forgiven of all the wrong things we've ever done and all the wrong things we will do in our lives that's why we sing about amazing grace It isn't about what we do. It's about Jesus' love and what he did on the cross for us. That means that we get to live in freedom freedom in Christ, that we are free from sin. But then Paul reminds the Corinthians that remember what the Jewish people did. As soon as they got out of slavery in Egypt, they wandered around and they made choices in the desert. You know, they made their own idol. And they started worshiping it. And then he's also reminding them of a time when the Jewish men um, were in Moab and they participated in orgies with the Moabite women, who they were told not to have any relations with um, women outside of the Jewish faith. And they went against that. And pretty soon they start worshiping the gods of the Moabite women, and it brings devastation to them. And he's reminding the Corinthians of that and saying it's possible that you have freedom in Christ, and yet you can make choices in your life that will draw you back into your old patterns of life and that you will fall away from this relationship and you will actually be enslaved again. And that he's warning, don't do that. All of us need to work together to make sure our brothers and sisters that that doesn't happen. And so what's interesting here is that If Paul is so worried, I mean, that sounds bad, right? He's really worried about it. And if that is Paul's concern, why doesn't he just make a rule? Why doesn't he just say, don't do it? Don't eat the meat, right? The Jewish people are already doing it. They're not eating the meat. Why doesn't he just say, don't do it like they are? You know, that's just a rule for all of us now. Why doesn't he do that? I think for me, I'm like, just make a rule. You know, that's what I like. Like, make a rule for me, and I'll know whether I did it right or not. I kind of crave that sometimes. Give me a rule, especially in the church, because if I have a rule, I'll, I'm, I'm sure to keep that rule. If there's a rule, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that rule. And there's some of us that kind of crave that, right? We want to know when we're okay, when we're good, because we kept the rules, right? And, w- and with rules, there's no gray area. There's only black and white. And so, you know when you're okay. I don't know if you grew up in a church that had a lot of rules. Um, Maybe you grew up with grandparents or parents who had lots of strict rules and and what your relationship to rules are. Um, For me personally, I definitely grew up in a church that had a lot of rules, Um, extra rules that weren't necessarily in the Bible. Um, Rules about modesty, mostly for women. Um, Rules about uh, alcohol, uh, music, movies, all kinds of rules. And this is true for both the Catholic Church and the Protestant Churches, um, that some churches, not all, but some churches work really hard to see that people are afraid of breaking the rules. And their motivation to keep people in line is fear. Instead of wanting people and working to make people make choices because they are in love with Jesus. And that is why Paul is really careful here not to just make another rule. Because that isn't what it's about. God doesn't want us just to keep a set of rules. He wants a loving relationship with us. And there's a big difference between the two. And growing up, for me, as a good rule follower, I didn't really understand what freedom in Christ really felt like. I was just too busy keeping all the rules and maybe noticing when other people weren't, um, but I, I was too busy in that to really feel what freedom in Christ felt like deep down inside of me. But somewhere along the way um, in my relationship with Jesus, I started to get it. I started to get just a glimpse at first of how much he loved me and that it actually had nothing to do with how well I kept the rules. And I started to feel that love and really understand what grace meant for me. And it gave me freedom. And it freed me from worrying about getting all the right rules, and um, actually making mistakes sometimes, and feeling like that was okay. It was okay, because Jesus still loved me, and that's not what it was about. And it freed me from the fear of not being good enough, not being good enough in other people's eyes, because it didn't matter. I was good enough in the eyes of my loving Jesus. And what I realized, and still am realizing, is I was enslaved by rules, They kept me feeling the difference that I actually had in my life, this difference that everything had changed because Jesus' love and grace had brought me this new life. And so I think that is why Paul here is really careful not to create just another rule. Because authentic obedience to to Jesus isn't about fear. It's about love, about loving God. Jesus, Jesus, who loves us first, and so Paul says, "Okay, if you need some guidance, I'll give you a little bit of guidance here." And this is what he says in chapter ten, verses twenty-three and twenty-four. And Paul and uh, Larry uh, used this last week. He says, "I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive." So no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So here's what Paul is saying. He said, I'm not going to make it easy for you. What you really need to do is think about this for yourself in a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. But not just what's good for you, but what's good for other people. You need to make a decision in your life based on what is best for others too. And maybe we don't have to make a decision about what meat we're going to eat and where it came from, but we have lots of decisions to make in our life that can lead us into a place that isn't free in Christ, where we are being um, captured by our our addictive behaviors and patterns. And so that is what Paul is warning. But honestly, I think it requires more work for us in the end. Maybe it would have just been easier to create a rule, because it's hard work. To learn to listen to the Holy Spirit to direct us to what's best for our life. And the truth is that that is different for all of us. That we're just like Paul and Peter, gonna decide maybe to do things a little bit differently, and that that is okay because we're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different histories. We all have different families of origins, different addictive patterns in our lives. We have different struggles and different strengths. And so we all have to do this hard work of knowing ourselves, and that's hard work. And it means that we have to admit our addictive patterns. It means that we have to look at our painful pasts. It means that for many of us, we need to work with counselors to help us create boundaries for our lives that work just for us. It might mean that we need to make changes in our lives. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. So not only do we have to do the hard work of knowing ourselves and our strengths and our weaknesses, but we also have to do the hard work of living in community where we know each other and our strengths and our weaknesses. Think about it. This this doesn't work. What Paul is suggesting here, this doesn't work. This rule, this way of thinking doesn't work if you don't know your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're to consider the good of others— we have to actually really know other believers. And that's hard work. Knowing each other and sharing life together and letting ourselves be vulnerable with one another because we trust that that other person is really seeking our good above their own. That's a type of community that is hard work. And I'm going to be honest, I think it's easier to just give you rules. It would be easier for me And it would be easier for this church in some ways to just create some rules and say, you can't do this. You're allowed to do that. But that isn't what Jesus died for. He died for a relationship with us. And building a loving relationship with God, it takes hard work, but it's a higher calling. It's a better life than following rules. And for me, What that means is sometimes I choose not to drink alcohol, because the people I'm with, um, it isn't good for them to be around it, or um, maybe they don't even know it themselves, but I know that I'm going to give up my freedom to enjoy a glass of wine sometimes. Sometimes it might mean that I choose not to go to places that um, I have no problem going to. It isn't a problem for my own um, relationship with Jesus, yet I know that there are other people who look at me and say, if Wendy can do it, I can do it. And so I will make choices because what's best for another person. Sometimes um, what's best for me and what I really want is just to be alone. Sorry, guys, that's true. Uh, <laughs> especially my family over here is like, yeah, we know. Um, but honestly, sometimes I don't make that choice because I know that I have sisters in Christ who are struggling with loneliness and depression. And so it's best for me to be with them and spend time with them. All of these things I'm always, we all need to be thinking about. The people we know and love and make choices based on that. And sometimes that means we, we make our own boundaries for ourselves, And sometimes we might feel the freedom that God's saying, no. Delight in the good things I give you in life. And it just reminds me of our women's group that we meet on Tuesdays. We meet this Tuesday. um, And one of the things we do before uh, we start our meeting is we always talk about the values that we share. And one of the values we share that we always talk about is that we delight in God's good things. And it's okay to delight in God's good things. But we say that we delight in them in moderation. And so for us, that means we have a two-glass maximum that we keep to when we're drinking alcohol, just a way to kind of help help us all make sure that we're help, healthy in our relationship with alcohol. It's a higher calling to live this way. It might be harder work, but it's a better life. It's a calling to love like Jesus. Because Jesus said this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul, he talks over and over about this in 1 Corinthians. You've got all these problems, but you know what can fix it? Love. And so he says love builds up. And he said love does not dishonor others, but it, and it is not self-seeking. He says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He says, follow the way of love and do everything in love. So before I close today, I want to talk about an image that has just really stuck in my mind um, over the last couple weeks as I was preparing this message. And um, I really wanted to have a picture of God it for you. But uh, it's a drawing that my sister-in-law, who's an artist, drew probably over 10 years ago. And so I called her this week and said, um, you know that picture you drew like over 10 years ago and it was hanging on the wall? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I I have no idea where that is. She's like, "Now it's kind of, I kind of remember, but no. And so I was like, okay, I'll just have to describe it for people because it stuck with me. Um, So it was this drawing for her of just a person. You couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, pretty um, just a form of a person and a box, like a big box sitting on the floor. And for her, I remember her telling me what it meant to her, and she hung it on her wall, because what the box meant for her, what it represented in her life, was all the rules that she was brought up with. And those rules confined her. And that she wasn't able to really feel free until she stepped out of that box and realized that she had freedom in Christ and to stop focusing on the rules so much and to focus on Jesus' love for her. And I got that. And that's why that image has stuck with me and why I came back while I was preparing this message. Because I get that box. So for some of you this morning, you might need to also step out of the box and step away from the rules and step into a relationship with Jesus. And you d- realize you don't have to get it all right. And that's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with Jesus who is willing to die on the cross in order to be in a relationship with you and to just step out into the freedom and the loving relationship that you can have with God. For others of you this morning, maybe that doesn't resonate. Maybe the box means something else for you. Maybe it's um, something in your life that really is keeping you held captive where you don't really feel free. And maybe that's just your past. Maybe it's patterns in your life from your past that are keeping you really um, in bondage and not able to really feel the freedom in the relationship, that loving relationship that you have in Christ. And so if that's you, I hope that you can hear Paul's warning that he says, be careful not to fall away. It's a very loving, don't fall. Don't fall. But then he he says, but God is faithful, and he will help you resist any temptation you face. And he also gives us this loving community that the idea is that we all work to have freedom in Christ together. And so as I close this morning, I, I hope I did an okay job kind of um, helping you think of that image. I just want you to kind of meditate on that for a minute and think, ask God to, to um, let you know what that box is in your life. And what he would like you to do to step out of that box. Maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for a brother and sister in Christ. But I'm just going to give you a couple minutes of silence and then I'm going to close this in prayer.